0: Today we are going to begin a study of the book of Romans, and without a doubt, this is the the New Testament book that is the the seedbed of all Christian uh, doctrine. Um, This is the book that most systematically unfolds um, Christianity, the truth of Christianity. If we had all the other books of the Bible and didn't have the book of Romans, our understanding of the Christian faith would not be complete. It is that important. To know Romans is to know um, Christianity. It's to know the doctrines of, of Christianity. John Calvin, the great reformer, wrote this. When anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. Martin Luther said, it is the true masterpiece of the New Testament, the very purest gospel, which is well worthy and deserving that a Christian should not only learn it by heart, word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as the daily bread of men's souls. For it can never be too much or too well read or studied. And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes." The poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge said this of Romans, it's the most profound book in existence. The French commentator of the last century, Frederick Godet, put it this way. He called Romans, it's the cathedral of the Christian faith. God, in His grace and His mercy, moved upon the Apostle Paul to sit down and write a book that unfolds in such a, in, in a broad way, and a deep way, the essence of Christianity. Throughout the history, this book of Romans has been uh, incredibly impactful in shaping not only the church, but has been impactful in, in, in shaping, um, in many respects, the world. The biblical expositor and scholar F.F. F. Bruce once wrote, Time and again, in the course of Christian history, the book of Romans has liberated the minds of men, brought them back to an understanding of the essential gospel of Christ, and has started spiritual revolutions. For instance, there's a man sitting under a tree, weeping bitterly because of the the great conviction that he was feeling because of his sin. He was living a sorrowful, debauched life. And he was under such great conviction and such great, deep, deep sorrow, weeping bitterly, but he had a copy of the book of Romans in his hands, and he opened that book and he began to read. And he was converted. It changed his life. That man was Augustine, the great 4th century church theologian. Or centuries later, there's a a university professor at the University of Wittenberg in Germany who's lecturing to his students from this book of Romans. And as he's lecturing from the book of Romans, all of a sudden he wrote, he said, I came to understand that a relationship with God is indeed by faith and faith alone. He's lecturing from the book of Romans. And God opened his eyes to this incredible truth that to be declared right before a holy God is not on the basis of what one does, it's on the basis of what he has done and simple faith. And he said, Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise while he's lecturing from the book of Romans. Thanks to the book of Romans, the Reformation fires were lit. Or the father of Methodism, Jonathan Wesley. Jonathan Wesley comes to America, to, to the colonies, to Georgia, to be a missionary to the Native Americans and fails abysmally. He gets back on a, on a boat. He heads back to, to London and as he goes back he mourns the fact I go to America to convert the natives but oh who's going to convert me because he knew in his heart of hearts he did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ He finds himself one evening in a Bible study there in London and they are studying the book of Romans and they've just started the study They're reading through Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. In fact, they hadn't even started the commentary. They were reading the preface to the commentary written by Martin Luther on the book of Romans. And as they're reading the preface to the commentary on the book of Romans, God opens the heart of Jonathan Wesley, and he trusts Christ as his personal Savior. He wrote, I felt I did trust Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and he saved me from the law of sin and death. Godet was right. He was not exaggerating when he said the probability is that every great spiritual revival in the church will be connected as effect and cause with a deeper understanding of the book of Romans. Romans lays out the heart of God. It unpacks systematically the heart of God of Christian truth, of Christian doctrine. Now, I could go on and on and on about the impact of, of Romans, but what is it that is unpacked in the book of Romans? I mean, why has it been so impactful? Why has it changed so many lives, why has it been the source of so many revivals, the book of Romans? What is it about Romans that makes it so special? When I, this morning, in a, kind of an introduction to the book of Romans, uh, I want to unpack a purpose statement for, for the book of Romans. It's in the sermon notes that uh, you can pick up, um, but I'm, I'm wording it this way. That God has given us the book of Romans, the purpose of the book, is to systematically set forth the amazing good news about a loving God's plan to rescue us from the consequences of our sinfulness in light of His holiness by means of the gracious work and righteousness of His Son, Jesus. It's a systematic setting forth of God's plan to rescue. Now, to our knowledge, um, Paul was not that familiar with the Roman church. He had never been there. It wasn't a church that he started. He knew people there. He had friends there. And it's possible that there was some maybe a little beginnings of conflict in the church between the Jewish segment of believers and the the Gentile segment of believers. I mean, that was very typical in the early church. There was this this, um, tension that was there. And it's possible some believe that Paul wanted to write this book to to bring about a unified belief system um, to to take the, the great truths that God had imparted to him as an apostle and shared with the the believing church in Rome so that there would be a unified doctrinal uh, oneness. We don't know if there was a problem like that in, in the Roman church. All we know is that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted to communicate this is what Christianity is all about. This is God's heart. And he wrote this letter more as a treatise of of Christian doctrine, a systematic unfolding of God's saving and sanctifying grace. And I think that's what makes this book so valuable, this systematic uh, laying out, unfolding of the amazing story, God's plan to rescue. And so there's great theological and there's great practical Uh, benefit to the book of Romans. If you want to know what the essence of Christianity is all about, if you want to know what the heart and soul of the Christian faith is, go to the book of Romans. Stick with us. We're going to look through it and unpack it. If you want to learn how it's possible to have a relationship with God forever, the book of Romans is going to tell us. If you want to understand how it's possible to avoid the anger of God, the wrath of God? This is the book to go to. If you want to understand, does this thing called the Christian life, does it really work? Does does Christianity really work? This is the book to go to, the book of Romans. We want to understand how to live the kind of life that God has designed us to live, to experience the kind of life God has designed us to experience. If you want to know what it is that God is calling us as His created beings, how to live the life that He's designed us to live, it's the book of Romans. We go to the book of Romans. It's great, great practical value. And it is so because the central theme, the central focus of the book of Romans is the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles to the book of Romans and turn to me to that first chapter. Paul orients us to this truth of of the Lord Jesus Christ in that opening chapter where he systematically sets forth the amazing good news about a loving God's plan to rescue us through the person of his Son. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh, and who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom, verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's one long sentence that Paul writes. One long sentence where he introduces himself, because he was a stranger to these people in Rome, he introduces himself as one who belongs to a divine master. I'm, I'm the slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a bond servant. I'm a slave. That's all I am. I have a, a divine master. He says, I'm filling a divine office. I am a called apostle. The word called there is, is actually an adjective. What kind of an apostle, what kind of a sent one, what kind of a missionary are you, Paul? I'm called. I'm a called one. I'm, I belong to a divine master. I'm filling a divine office. But he said, I'm proclaiming a divine message. I am set apart. I've been appointed. I've been set apart. I've got a divine appointment to proclaim a divine message. It's the gospel of God. God has good news for us. And the book of Romans systematically unpacks that good news. The loving, the loving God's plan to rescue us. A message of good news. Now Paul says in verse 2, this is all rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. Paul said, I'm not making this up. This is not just, I'm not just, you know, coming up with something on my own here. This is something, verse 2, that God has promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What we see in the book of Romans is simply the fruition of, of, of what was um, planted there in the Old Testament. Paul is revealing in a systematic way the plan of God and how it's been brought to fruition It was grounded in the Old Testament scriptures, he says. And the focus of it all, verse 3, is his son, concerning his son. And Paul mentions two things interestingly about the son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he's a descendant of David, he's fully human, he's in the lineage of David a descendant born of David according to the flesh. Fully human. But verse 4, this son, this descendant of David according to the flesh, was appointed or declared the Son of God with power at the resurrection from the dead. Not only is he fully human, but this good news message that centers around this person of Jesus Christ, he is fully god He is the Son of God, and he was declared so, he was appointed so, the Son of God, when he was raised in power, declared the Son of God with power, in power, at the resurrection of the dead. The message that Paul is going to unpack in the book of Romans is a powerful message that every person born in this world should pay attention to because it's rooted and grounded in the God-man. In the the God-man who was born of a descendant of David, came to this earth, lived and died and rose again. He is the Son of God, appointed so with power at the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ is the focal point of the book of Romans. The book of Romans systematically unfolds, sets forth this amazing good news about a loving God's plan through His Son to rescue us. The the book of Romans is about a rescue operation. Uh, Typically, we would see that word and we would see the word salvation. That's the word that is often used. It's a word that does mean to be rescued, to be delivered. And the question is, all right, Paul, as you unpack this book of Romans, what is it that, that we need to be rescued from? Well, to rescue us from the consequences of our sinfulness in light of His holiness, there are two uh, very important truths that we need to be reminded of as we begin a study of the Book of Romans. One is the holiness of God. The holiness of God—that there is a God in heaven who dwells in unapproachable light and is the purest of the purest of holiness. When you study the Book of uh, of Isaiah. Last year, a year and a half ago, there was that scene in Isaiah chapter 6 where the prophet Isaiah comes into the temple, the temple shakes and it's filled with smoke, and all of a sudden the seraphim, those angelic beings are there, and he hears the words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole temple shook. The whole earth is full of His glory. And that designation of of the thrice holy God, that super superlative holy, 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 holiness is that uh, descriptor of God attached to the name of God Uh, more than any other. You take all the other descriptors of God combined, they don't equal the holiness of God, holiness of God. He is totally separate he's transcendently other there is no one like him he's in a class of his own he's holy 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 we we have to understand the book of romans in light of the fact that there is a holy god the second truth we have to understand as we come to the book of romans is that we're not the sinfulness of man Paul will write in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned. They've fallen short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you. It's everyone born into this world. We're born in sin. We've been separated from God. Even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah had put it this way, the heart is more deceitful than all else, is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 6 that what we deserve and what we earn because we're sinners is death. The wages of sin, he'll say in Romans 6, is death. A holy God does not um, ignore sin. A holy God must deal with sin. Paul writes it this way in chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now we're going to talk about that passage here in a couple of weeks. But turn there with me. Look at verse 18 of, uh, of chapter 1. <clears throat> the wrath of God is revealed... And it, it doesn't say will be revealed, as if some future time. It's a present tense. The anger of God is being revealed, is being manifested from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God has made it evident, for since the creation of the world His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen. "...being understood through that which is, He has made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures." What an indictment against mankind. What a, what a validation for God being angry. Mankind doesn't honor God. They don't treat Him as holy. This, this God who is separate above all, transcendently pure. Man discards that. They don't respond with glory to God. Mankind Born of this world, they don't respond with thanksgiving to this kind of a God. They become futile in their speculations. Their heart is hardened. Their foolish heart is hardened. Professing to be wise, verse 22, they become fools. They spurn God's glory. They exchange it for the glory of, of what God had created, the the. the Birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And what does God do in His, in his anger? Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. God, God allows man to continue headlong into the malignancy of his, of his sinful heart, of his self-focus, of his self-worship. It is as if God steps back and removes His hands and He says, all right, that's the world you want to live in, have at it. A display of His anger, of His wrath. What results? He gives them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchanged the natural function for, what, uh, for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also men abandoned the natural function of the woman, burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committed indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and evil and full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Man walks away from God. The indictment against mankind. It's a description of our modern world, is it not? As we begin this new year of 2020, does this not describe at least modern America? We live in a world full of futile uh, speculations. Hardened hearts, foolish hearts. We live in a world that God has given over in His anger and wrath because it's poured out against all ungodliness and sinfulness of men. When I came here 30 years ago, as a 34-year-old young guy with four little kids, 34-year-old wife, who would have thought, who would have thought, 30 years later, who would have thought five years ago even, that Fellowship Bible Church would need, as we have, uh, uh, a skilled safety team, that in all the services today, a safety team is here, where every Sunday we have a, a deputy sheriff that makes his presence known. Who would have thought that we'd be living in that kind of a day? Who would have thought that we would be living in a, in a world such as we have today? Madmen with nuclear weapons at their disposal. A country that's torn apart by partisan politics, of utter foolishness, of the sinfulness of man's heart, that have one thing that they have in common I want what I want. Who would have thought that? we'd be having a governor of Virginia who's a pediatric neurologist who advocates infanticide. It's unbelievable. But this is the world we live in. Why? The wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness and sinfulness of man. And He has given us over to the malignancy of our sin. It's a judgment of handing mankind over to their own sinfulness, to suffer the consequences of their own sinfulness, to their utter destruction. That's where we're heading. And so, sinful people need to be rescued. (laughs) We need to be rescued from sin, from ourselves, from a God who pours out His wrath against sin. One of the key truths that Romans is going to remind us of that's early on in these, these chapters is that we indeed are born into sin and as sinners we are in grave, grave danger. This is not something to be scoffed at, to be forgotten as we walk out of here in a few moments. This is serious business. Sin is an affront to a holy God. And holy God must deal with sin. And there's no place to hide. We can't hide from it. We can't ignore sin. We can't relabel it as my personal choice. We can't um, claim that we're ignorant of His standards. We can't hide behind a a perceived self-righteousness of religiosity. Because in the final analysis... All the world stands accountable before a holy God. Sinners need to be rescued. and We need to be awakened to this truth, to recapture this truth that all sin is an affront to God. Like the early church found out when when Peter came before a couple in the church, Ananias and Sapphira, who had lied about their resources, their finances. Uh, and Peter said just before this couple is struck dead in judgment, he said, you haven't lied to me, you, you've lied to God. God is the offended party. Think back to, to David, King David, who has an adulterous relationship with a married woman, Bathsheba. Who then puts her husband out on the front line, Uriah the Hittite, and he's killed. And when David is confronted and he, he repentantly comes before God, recorded in Psalm fifty one, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Sin is affront to a holy God. Too many times we think of sin in terms of the consequences it causes us. The the husband who has an affair, who destroys a home, grieves a a wife, burns the children. That's collateral damage. God is the one who's been offended. Take the the attitude that I may have expressed this week within my own home. I'm not going to tell you what that might have been. You can talk to Lisa about that. It wasn't just an affront to her. It was an affront to a holy God. And yet here's the amazing truth. This holy God who dwells in unapproachable light, the purest of transcendent holiness, loves us. He loves us. He cares for us. He wrote the book on love, and so Paul is going to remind us in the book of Romans, as he does in chapter 5, this God demonstrates His own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the, the good news that Paul is talking about. A book that is full of God's love, a book that is full of God's grace. Romans is a book written to systematically set forth the amazing good news about a loving God's, gracious God's plan to rescue us from the consequences of our sinfulness in light of His holiness. And how does God do that? By means of the gracious work and righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, who's the focal point of this whole message. The one who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, but was declared the Son of God with power when He was raised from the dead. This is a book about power. And as we'll see next week in this theme verse of verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You take a holy God who rightfully is wrathful against sinners but who loves us with an everlasting love who sends His Son into the world to powerfully rescue us. He's got the power to do it. It's His gracious work. And so Paul writes in chapter 5, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be rescued, saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be rescued by His life. The power of a resurrected Savior. Now we're going to get into that in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, every one of us in this room, who know Jesus as our personal Savior, need to be rescued. Because there's not a person in this room who still doesn't sin And all our sin is an affront to a holy God now we'll talk about that and we'll explain that in the weeks to come you see the death of Christ rescues us but the life of Christ also rescues us and so Paul said I in verse 15 chapter 1 I am eager to come to Rome And I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, because I'm not ashamed of the good news of God, for it unleashes God's power to rescue. Why do we need to study the book of Romans? Because we need to be reminded that we not only live in a physical world where we need to eat and drink and work and go to school and be about our lives and fix cars that are broken. Still haven't been fixed on my, work, my part. But, uh, or to, to uh, you know, go about our daily activities. We've got to go grocery shopping and we've got to do this, this. We live in a physical realm. But what the book of Romans reminds us of is that we also live in a spiritual realm. with a relationship with a holy God. There's a spiritual dimension to our life where, where our life intersects with God's. And we would be wise to think very seriously about how my life is intersecting with this holy God. We need to study the book of Romans because we need to appreciate, again, the awesome holiness of God and our daily need to be rescued from the consequences of our sin. Having been rescued from the penalty of our sin, but daily rescuing from the power of sin still active in our life. Why should we matter because Why should it matter? Because we live in a spiritual world, a dimension where we intersect with a holy God. And so my prayer is that as we study this book, we will grow in our reverence for God and that we'll grow in our love for God. And that we will grow in our worship and our service to God. Because there is no one more worthy than a God who has developed an amazing plan of love and grace rooted deeply into the Old Testament, the very heart of God, that has now been revealed. It's been communicated to us in a book and God in his mercy has given us a a very important book, the book of Romans, that will unpack for us the heart of God, his plan of the ages, of what we need to know to honor, to glorify, to serve, to worship this God. Join me as we study the book of Romans. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to handle, to to open this book, to, to see the words that were communicated to us. Thank you, Father, that in your great mercy and grace, you have not left us in the dark. And that though we live in a world that is totally unhinged because of sin, experiencing your your holy wrath where you have given us over, as it were, to our own sinfulness, where things will continue, as Paul would write elsewhere, going from bad to worse. Um, Perilous times in which we live. In the midst of it, we can have a relationship with You, the Holy God, through Your grace and mercy that was all centered and communicated and accomplished by Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Father, help us to grow in this study in our our reverence for You and our love for You. In a heart of worship and service for you. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.